Once Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, that door was closed. Adam and all his people shut out. The cherubim were to guard with flaming fire the way back into the presence of God. But our Lord Jesus came not as a flaming angel, but as God himself. He took our nature, and by his incarnation, bodily living the life that we should have lived, and of course on the cross, dying in our place, he opened up the way to God. Now, the testimony of that, that is when our Lord Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. What happened? The veil of the temple. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. We're turning today to Revelation chapter 4. That's our main message, and we're going to be looking at the redeeming work of our Lord Jesus from the throne. In Revelation 4, you get a sight of the the Lord of glory on his throne, encircled with those living creatures, the angels, the elders, the saints. It is a scene that captivates the heart as that veil opens and we are allowed a peek into the wonders of heaven with the man Christ Jesus seated with his Father upon the throne. I trust you'll stay tuned with us till we get to that message from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale and that the Lord will bless you today, that his word will thrill your heart and bring you a blessing even today. Now, we're opening with Psalm 26. We've been reading through these psalms little by little, and we come to this Psalm 26 today. It is the Psalm of the Innocent Man. And you'll notice right through here that it is the man who has searched his heart and invites the Lord to search his heart to see if there be any sinful ways within him. Let's read this psalm through, and we'll just make a, a comment here and there. Judge me, O Lord. Now, there is the honesty of the man. Judge me. He doesn't say judge someone else. doesn't say judge my enemy, judge my brother. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with thee in persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in the integrity 
Redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. Now, in this uh, psalm, the word innocency comes up in verse 6. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar. And here you have the truth that no man dare approach God's altar unless he has the forgiveness of sins. And there is a link there between the altar of cleansing and the confession of honesty and innocency before God. And, of course, it is through that great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus that we can find cleansing and innocency of heart, coming openly confessing our needs and our faults and pleading for mercy that the Lord will deal with us not according to our own uh, failures, but according to his great and wonderful infinite mercy. So Psalm 26 is the psalm of the innocent man who comes and says, Lord, judge me, for I have walked in mine integrity. May the Lord encourage your heart today, and may you be able to come and just say, Lord, search my heart, and come, see that I'm walking in the light of your word. Let's unite in prayer as we come to the Lord together. Father, we thank thee for the privilege of prayer, the privilege of reading your word today, and I ask that you'll write it upon every heart. And we do thank thee for the innocent man, that there is cleansing from sin, and that we may come with open heart and seek the Lord and seek thy face and thy blessing, because Jesus, he is the one who was sinless, and he died for us to make us sinless. And we rejoice in the power of the gospel, that forgives, pardons, and sets us free. And Lord, we ask that you'll bless today as we turn to your word. We pray that there'll be a word in season for every heart to strengthen, to lead, guide, and encourage. We pray this, we ask and plead in the name of our Lord Jesus. Well, thank you for joining us here on Let the Bible Speak. We're turning now to our pulpit ministry, to Revelation chapter 4 and to the, the man of glory upon the throne. I trust that you will get a sight of the Lord Jesus in all his glory today, seated upon that throne in heaven. The word apocalypse, from which we get revelation, simply means to unveil. I want you to imagine that you are in a grand concert hall, a tremendous program is big, soon to begin. You take your seat. There is the ushering of the, the crowd into their seats. The audience is filling up. And there before you is a great curtain hanging, draping from top to bottom, thick, cancelling every little detail of what's behind on stage. And then the announcer steps forward and calls the audience to hush. And in their silent wait, the curtain is soon to open. And in their waiting, a note sounds. The first note of the presentation. 
And then the drape opens. And before the eyes of the audience are now lights, sounds, scenes, which all the while have been so near to them, but hidden from their view. That's what happened to John on the Isle of Patmos. There was given to him a revelation of sights, sounds, characters, activities, which really are near to every one of us if the Lord opened our eyes to see them. In like manner, when we come to this book of Revelation, the curtain is drawn back for us, and we're given to see some of these sights. Now, this was a word of comfort to John in tribulation. He was an old man, a warrior of the faith. These were days of awful persecution for the Christian church. And on that rugged, craggy island of Patmos, John was eking out a living, seeking a place to be free, to worship his God, and perhaps end his days. And here the Lord in grace and mercy and gives to John this tremendous revelation. Comfort. It's an assurance. It is an education that John needs that he might live with assurance during days of trial and trouble. What has your week been like? I have not walked in your shoes. I don't know what your thoughts, cares, burdens, perhaps even depression has been. Perhaps Satan has dogged you, and you the very trials of your faith being bitter to your soul. And the thought has come, what am I doing here? And what is God doing with me? Maybe for some, you've been like the of Israel in Egypt, making bricks for Pharaoh. The labor has been long and hard, building treasure cities of your own design. And you come into God's house today, and the Lord would open up a new scene, a new vista to your heart. He pulls the drapes. And he calls you with this word. And I bring your attention in this verse 1 of chapter 4, which was the call of God to John. Come up hither. Here is the call to hire us. Leave the world. Leave the muck and the mire. Leave the bricks. Leave the... Uh, the trials and the troubles, and for a time come into the very scenes and the sights of glory. That's what we have here in Revelation chapter 4. We have firstly God called to enter heaven's door. You'll notice have right here in this very first verse, after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. An open door to heaven. 
John had been shut out by Rome. John had been shut away from normal life. But here now was a door to behold heaven. Now, the open door of heaven has been experienced by many in the Bible. If you read Ezekiel 1.1, the man of the Old Testament visions, very much akin to John in Revelation, Ezekiel, this open heaven. When our Lord Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, the heaven opened, the Father spoke, the Spirit descended. In the life of Jesus, there was an open heaven. And then Stephen and his martyrdom, while they were nodding stones at God's man, he saw the heaven opened to see the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. An open heaven is God's great privilege and saying to his saints. Now, the doctrine of this is that Christ opened a door to heaven. He's the one who came into the world, and he preached, I am the door, the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And of course, his whole work and re ministry of redemption was to open a door for sinners all the way into heaven. Once Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, that door was closed. Adam and all his people shut out. The cherubim were to guard with flaming fire the way back into the presence of God. But our Lord Jesus came not as a flaming angel, but as God himself. He took our nature, and by his incarnation, bodily living the life that we should have lived, and of course on the cross, dying in our place, he opened up the way to God. Now, the testimony of that, that is when our Lord Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. What happened? The veil of the temple. Again, that drape that was shutting out the Shekinah glory of God, shutting man away from the Holy One. When Jesus offered up his blood, that veil rent, torn from top to bottom. The way was opened up for men to enter in to the very presence of God. And so God wants you to know today there is a door. There's a way into the heavenly, a way for you to experience fellowship God. Yes, sin has shut you out. Yes, you deserve to be forever separated from the holy. But there's a way back. There's a way into the presence of God. Now, I want you to notice that to John, this was a very clear call. We're told here in verse 1 that a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me, a trumpet. The trumpet is the instrument that is used by armies, generals, to give that clear sound of command in battle. Or it's the note of warning in the dead of night. It's a clear sound. There is no uncertainty to it. 
Praise God today. This call to your soul is a clear call. There's no ambiguity about it. There are no ifs and buts. This is God's call to your heart and soul. To John, it was also a personal call. It was not only as the sound of a trumpet, but it was talking with me. Talking with me. When the Lord puts forth his sheep, he calls them by name. And he has their very name in the call. I remember when the Lord was striving with me and working in my heart, convincing me of my need of a Savior. And when I was coming to this book and reading certain passages, there was the clear personal and as if my very name was written the promises and commands of the Bible. The Lord calls. It's clear. It's personal. And you'll notice it's a holy call. To come up hither. John was down in the rocks of Patmos. He was down in the earth of all his pains and trials. But he was called up hither. And when God calls, he doesn't call you to live the old life. He calls you to live a new life. He calls you to leave the world behind and enter into that realm of heaven and serve the Lord by his grace. You're to leave the burdens, the cares. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, you must feel today what sin has done to you. You must feel the plague of it. You must feel the awful burden and weight of sin in your own soul. At times at night, you hear the roar of your own conscience, crying out, guilty, guilty, guilty. You may pull the clothes over your head. You may weep your way to sleep. You may awaken in the morning to drown out voices, but that conscience cries against you, guilty. Until the day you die, and on into eternity future, your conscience will live and speak and condemn. To find peace with God, to come up hither, to meet with the Lord Jesus, to live in his presence, in fellowship with him. Let me ask you today, very simply, personally, one-to-one, -one, are you ready for a new life? I have not walked in your shoes. I do not know your record completely. But if you're going to hear this call and obey it, you must be life. It's a holy call. If you're a Christian today, you're called to go higher. You cannot ever say, I've arrived. You've not arrived in your knowledge of the Savior. You've not arrived in the knowledge of His Word. You've not arrived in holiness. You are called to cop hither. Come up. Strive for the mountaintop and to live with the Lord. 
That brings us to another part of this call. It's a call to enjoy heavenly scenes. And I want to go down this chapter and list the wondrous scenes that are in this word, this word picture of heaven. And may God give to you the eyes that he gave to John to see and behold these things. We're told that John was in the Spirit, verse 2, and immediately I was in Spirit. You will see that the carnal, the flesh, the human side of man cannot comprehend the spiritual. Our spiritual delights, seeing sounds and messages that the carnal man cannot receive. But John was in the Spirit, and his spiritual blindness was fixed. Now the Lord Jesus that touches the eyes of men and the earth, blind men to make them see, also gives spiritual eyesight. And he can take away our spiritual blindness and dullness and make us to see. He did that to the men in the road to Emmaus. They didn't understand what happened at Calvary. They couldn't understand that their Savior would rise again. But when the Lord came, their eyes opened, and they knew him. We need to pray for that more as Christians. We need to pray for God-given wisdom in the things of the Lord. What did he see? Well, the very first thing, central, foremost, and indeed the, the very center of all was a throne. Verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. If you read that passage very carefully, you will see that everything encircles the throne. You will see that things around the throne and proceeding out of the throne. This is God's command center of the universe. It is the throne of God. A king has a throne. When he ushers commands, he sits on that throne. And his word carries all the authority and the dignity of his office. One study on this chapter drew the throne of God as a, a little circle in the midst, like the hub of a wheel. And around that you have another circle, and another circle, and another circle. And it's just like that ripple effect of the stone in the center. Everything protrudes out from the throne. And all glory, honor, and praise is given to the one who's upon the throne. This is the king of creation. His title is the Almighty in this chapter. It is a special Greek word, pantocrat, given to the, the authority of the creator. And he sits upon this throne. Now, this is more than the seat of earthly kings. You cannot even begin to compare this with the throne of the Queen of England or her regent in Ottawa, nor at the White House, the Pentagon, the Kremlin, the United Nations, the Muslim Brotherhood, whatever authority of the world you think of, this is the throne that controls the universe. And there seated on that throne is the King 
himself. Now just think of it. Through the veil. Through that mere cloth. Is the command control room of the universe. We are given to think that heaven is far away. We're given to think that God's power and authority is somewhere unseen, unknown, unimaginable. It's all around us. And we're living daily in the orbit of this throne that is set in heaven. tells us that on that great day that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are many in the world today who have no thought of bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus and surrendering their lives to him. They are afraid of what it may mean. They want to have their sin, they want to have the world, and they want to hold on to control themselves. But the Lord needs to be king of your life, and you need to crown him king of your life today that you may enjoy him for all eternity. To those who will not bow the knee here on earth, of course, on that day of judgment, it will be a crushing and it will be a final destruction to the ungodly. I plead with you to give your life to the Lord Jesus. Just surrender your all and give your heart to him. Let him into your heart to reign and rule. Welcome him, invite him in, and he will come and save you and prepare you for heaven. If I can be of personal help, feel free to give me a call. All the details are coming up now in these final closing announcements. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music